two games, one goal worth watching from a Man United perspective. Better than zero, as was frequently happening over the last few weeks. Uh, that Amad yeah. Diallo goal was uh, nice. Was real nice. It was the, the only highlight of that game, really. I think I, I was going to try and think of some clever things to say about the Europa League game when I was thinking about it a few days ago and then in the build-up to us just uh, turning on the microphones here, I'd completely forgotten that game existed. <laughs> so, um, I had a lot of messages from people telling me that the reason that Frank Kessie's, um XG was so high is because he does take their penalties because I think I speculate, I assumed that Zlatan took their penalties but he missed a bunch, was taken off and gave them to Kessie. But you could see that uh, he strikes a fine ball from open play uh, from his goal that was correctly ruled out for handball, but somewhat football terroristly ruled out for handball. Yes, uh, but of course, they've those rules have already been changed. It's the third time the handball rule has been changed this season. It just doesn't have to be adopted until June. And so in UEFA competitions, it hasn't been adopted. But as of June the 1st, or whenever it's actually you know, ratified, that will not be handball anymore. You know, it's like... It will, it will not be because... Oh, no, actually, no, no, sorry. It no, will he be. deliberately... He, yeah. No, well, no, no, it's not... Well, deliberate, non-deliberate doesn't make any difference in this phase of play. It's irrelevant. Um, no, no, the goal scorer will not be able to use his hand in any way, but other people could, right? So right now, oh. if it hits someone's arm, bounces down, and then Frank Kessie blams it into the top did. bins, uh, that is no goal now, but will be a goal in June. Right. You see, yeah. It his his yeah. arm and he you know scores the goal. It's the, it will still be an own, uh, a goal, uh, ruled out. Sorry for handball, but it just it's just adding an extra layer of confusion because now we'd have we'll have three different handball rules depending on who you are and in what phase of play. And yeah, so we need to come up with something beyond Schrodinger's handball now because Schrodinger is a a binary situation, right? It's one of two states. This is like a, a Schrodinger's triple handball. Um. We also had... Uh, it's Escher. Yeah. It's MC Escher <laughs> it's and handballs. Just... <laughs> you don't know where you're, whether you're going up or down, whether it's in or out or goal or no goal. Uh, so there was that. There was the Kessie thing and Milan absolutely battered us with their super second string side and so many injuries. We t- I talked about Hakan Kanahoglu. He was not, did not feature in this right. game. Obviously, that time we knew he was out. Um, Kessie looks a, a, a fine player. Um, based on the one game I've seen him play. Um, But United really struggled to impose themselves. They scored a a lovely goal, but that was on a counter in the second half. Great ball from Fernandez. Absolutely brilliant Chicharito-esque scenes from Ahmad Diallo. And he really, you can see why everyone's so excited about him, can't you? Of course, and it'll take a time to mature, but the the raw talent is there, isn't it? And the, the speed over the ground, the technical ability, left foot, right foot... And I don't think too many people thought he had much of a header in him, but apparently he does. A really lovely way to to make your full debut for United with a goal. So, yeah, awesome for him. Those are all the highlights of the game, though. It it wasn't great. And um, I've seen some criticism of Dean Henderson for the United goal. I mean, far more of it should be laid at the feet of the four or five defenders uh, not marking the zone. One of you. One of you. <laughs> if you're going to mark zonally, one of you mark zonally. But they were all looking at each other and no one did. Uh, just really awful. I don't know whether they set that up wrong or, or who made the uh, mistake there. Solskjaer blamed, um, blamed, well, he didn't blame Matic. He blamed Milan for blocking off Matic's run. Uh, but it's the zonal system, folks. One of you go. Uh, no one did. And then the header is plenty of power. So it's it's hard to put pin too much blame on Henderson although obviously it's gone basically straight at him if he just stood still he'd have probably saved it yeah a lot I saw a lot of De Gea would have saved that uh, about that which it's a really you know, they have form of analysis wouldn't it um, we, but we... they they I I do think the the one relevant part of that analysis is that it's not like Henderson hasn't got weaknesses that are De Gea's strengths sure. they just you know that, that you want to much like we used to talk about with Eve, well uh, Man United youth Nick uh, Man United youth said that we should uh, smash uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Ethan Laird into one player <laughs> um, that would be the best fullback in the world 
Henderson and De Gea, if you could take both of their respective strengths, that would be a big deal. So, look, I, I mean, that's all fair. I, I can't exactly say that Henderson's weakness is a bullet header straight at him. I mean, yeah, okay, it, it, you know, and I think there's been a few times in which uh, De Gea has dived under a shot or two in the last few years. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, I'm not going to start putting too much blame on Henderson. I mean, it's, it's nice for him that he's getting a few games and um, if it's a segue at all, he was pretty flawless in the game against West Ham, including, you know, what looked like a very sort of ugly attempt at a punch where he cleaned out absolutely everybody, including his own man, you know, which... Um, that's what we want from you, Dean. Oh, Dave that's, would that's... absolutely never do. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Dean Henderson's key point of difference right there. Um, yeah. So, uh, on to the game against West Ham. David Moyes is a coward. <laughs> he is a coward. Honestly, I know I, I've definitely talked about this game before and I was talking to a friend of the show, uh, Cal Gildart, about this and he was talking about a, a, a quarter-final game against Wigan when Everton were completely safe from relegation and not particularly likely to do anything positive in the league where they played a really weakened side in a FA Cup quarter-final against Wigan. And there's a game that always stands out in my mind which is a game between Everton and Arsenal when Everton were fifth and Arsenal were fourth going into the penultimate day of the season. And Moyes set up to play for a draw at Highbury, probably the Emirates. But anyway, one of those two. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, what are you doing? Like, why would you do this? And today, if they'd come with their most attacking, productive, positive side, I mean, I, I, it's perfectly reasonable, I guess, to say, well, actually, United have really struggled to break down teams that sit defensively. And they did today, you know, they re- relied on the positive bounce of a ball, but they created easily enough chances to to beat West Ham today. And and West Ham created nothing of any value. Mikel Antonio looked a, a complete cut above every other West Ham attacking player and, and there just weren't any other attacking players until the 60th minute. He's, he's just a coward. He is. This is the second time in a few weeks that they've come to Old Trafford with zero ambition. I mean, not even the ambition to sit deep and then attack because they didn't throw anyone forward in those breaks. They hardly had a break forward. They were hoping for set pieces or a piece of fortune or a long ball over the top, you know. And, yeah. and actually, as it happens, that, you know, not to bang on about a very broken record, but the the thing that causes you know Lindelof and Maguire problems didn't present itself. They they defended very well today, both of them, but they had a a thing to defend against. You know, not men running around them and and balls passed through uh, between the lines. So they just did nothing today, West Ham. They didn't deserve anything. They didn't deserve anything in the cup game, and they got nothing out of both games. So you know, yeah. It, and David Moyes by, won- by the way, they're they're completely over um, achieving all their underlying data, you know. So lots of praise for being fifth or whatever, but they shouldn't be anywhere near there. Yeah, uh, and David Moyes has won seven league games in his entire career at Old Trafford, and he managed us for a season. Like, oh man, it's not, it's not good, is it? You know, the number of times he's brought different teams there as well. Anyway, uh, he's rubbish. Friend, friend uh, of the show, Prakash, describing him as looking like a bleach cat's a- which I thought was wow. kind of mean, but also fairly fair as well. I mean, I feel like it's bad enough when I insult his like person. I call him a coward, but somehow that, that feels like that's a choice, what he looks like. I mean, are we really living in a world where we have to slate people for what they look like? I'm tired. I'm tired. This has been a very tiring week uh, in terms of people being nasty to each other. So, no, no, anyway. I'm, I'm, um, I, you know, I fully agree with you generally and as a matter of principle. But it's David Moyes, so I'm, I'm willing to bend the rules. Like, you know. All right. Um, uh, the this game, I don't know. I, I, I find it kind of a hard watch, but I, I but it that's mostly really based on uh, big stretches of the first half. Um, and I think if, you know, Rashford's header at the back post was a pretty big chance. Yep. Um, and if that had gone in, he, whether I'm not saying he should have scored it, but he definitely could have scored it. Um, Mason Greenwood, I thought, was excellent, actually. I thought he led the line really well yeah. and hit the post, didn't he, with the, with his one decent opportunity of his own. Um, but generally speaking, I, th- I thought... 
that's one of the sort of more rounded centre forward performances from from our mates. I, I thought the special talent. Yeah, he. I mean, he really is, and and he he drew out wide to the right and the left on occasions, and and uh, obviously it was him that put the ball in for Rashford to miss that header. Uh, 0.35 chance that one. So it's hard to say should, but it's a big chance, and um, he uh, Mason also had the shot. Um, after the nice team break by United, um, uh, Fabianski tipped wide. Um, I think we were talking in the uh, infamous NQAT WhatsApp group about um, about just how few team goals United have scored in recent times and, and the reliance on either set pieces or individual brilliance has been high for sure. Uh, but that would have been a very nice one. Um, as it turned out, the winner w- was a set piece and a piece of individual brilliance by uh, Matt Dawson to head it into his own net. Uh, Matt Dawson to change sports, uh, be 10 years younger than himself. <laughs> the Matt wrong, Dawson's the younger Dawson. brother, Craig. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, in, in Dawson, whatever. <laughs> one of them. Yeah. Who's, who's on loan from, doesn't he need like another game or something? He's on loan from Watford to West Ham and um, that's triggered as a permanent deal um, after X number of games. And I think it's only like two right. million or so, uh, the transfer fee. Right, right, right. Yeah, and he's done really well for West Ham. And attracting lots of positive attention, but also knocked the ball into the back of his own net, which was, I mean, McTominay claiming that goal was peak. Uh, attacking player claims own goal, wasn't it? It was good, good times. Yeah, claimed it for, uh, what, a third of a second before yeah. <laughs> probably realising that there are 800 cameras on this game and absolutely yeah, yeah. everybody will know that it wasn't him. So, yeah. Um, it was, uh, you know, they, they plugged away... There were there were problems from some you know some United some of United's kind of attacking players. Uh, Bruno was tried a lot of stuff. Not a lot of it came off. Um, Dan James. Dan James. has got a run in the side because he scored five goals in six games or something. And uh, we now need to start looking how many games ago it was that he scored the last one of those. And we need to set a we need to set a date. We need to set a stop date on Dan James's good run of form, right? It's, you can't just be like, oh, Dan James is in a good run of form. He should keep playing. If he has as many bad games in a row as he had good games, which he's got to be like one or two away from, we have to we have to say the Dan James experiment needs to be put on hold for a bit longer again. I mean, te- he's Teflon Dan, isn't he? I mean, he scored three goals in August last season and people were saying, oh, good, good season from Dan James up until about May. And they weren't even playing football in May. So it's, yeah, I mean, I don't think a hot streak of a few games, a couple of those were pretty scrappy goals where he just put his swinger through it as well, um, really constitutes a great run of form. And, and like playing on the right-hand side there, um, he didn't have a lot of space to run into, which is obviously his thing. And then he just runs into blind alleys, which is the obvious piece of analysis that every pod- podcaster on the planet makes about him. But I mean, and 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 like the one big break where United was three against two, and he placed the ball behind Bruno, and it was just the it's the pass he had to make in you know a yard ahead of Bruno, and United would have been probably in on goal, and he didn't make it. Yeah, um, the one thing that I would give him credit for, which actually in the first half the other strikers weren't doing, neither Rashford nor Greenwood were making runs in behind that very deep line defence and there was one particular passage of play where it was really noticeable. Jan James really was the only person being mobile ahead of the ball. Um, Rashford made a very long kind of horizontal run from one side to the other, um, but there, there wasn't a lot of vertical movement, let's say, up the pitch. Listen... Um, this is this is it's not easy against deep line defenses. Although it is a shame that Edinson Cavani has been injured as much as he has, because I do think uh, if nothing else, his teammates, his attacking teammates, just need to watch him do that and be like, "Ah, oh, well, that's useful." Yeah, and again, you know, a piece of analysis that's been made a fair bit, which is which is what what can these players learn off uh, an old pro like Edinson Cavani? Because you know, that's um, I mean, he scored a few goals this season, not tons, because his injury record is not um, awesome at the moment, and he was in and out of the team until everyone realised that Martial's having a stinker of a season. Um, so, 
we'll see whether people learn off him. We'll also see, by the way, whether United renew him for another year. They haven't optioned the option yet for a second season on that. There was some debate sparked by his dad, um, I think on a radio station, um, saying that uh, he might go and play in Argentina instead, uh, which I guess might be an option for him. He certainly won't get anywhere near the, the wage he's earning at United, but maybe he doesn't need that at this stage and would rather be closer to home. Well, he definitely doesn't need it, does he? Unless he's been really bad with his money because he was at PSG in peak oil times yeah. for years and years and years. Natural and gas, he, Na- he, Qatar, natural gas. Let, let's get let's get your carbon fuel correct here. <laughs> um, should also probably point out that he he did a classic. He took to Instagram to say proud to wear the shirt. Um, and I've been learning a bit of Spanish, and I understood the shirt part, but it was I can't remember what the word for proud was. But anyway, um, there we go. Um, let's. Uh, well, God. oh yeah, Luke Shaw was good. There you go. Yeah, oh, this is extraordinary. It was man of the match. Gary Neville gave him man of the match. I think absolutely rightly so. He looked a constant threat down the left. Numerous times got in behind a defense that was quite hard to get in behind. Put really good balls into the box numerous times. Um, not sure if he was directly responsible. Well, I guess he was directly responsible for the goal, wasn't he? Because he took the corner that um, that led to it, I think. Um, what a see. I mean, I know we talked about this last week, so uh, probably not that much to add, but an absolutely remarkable turnaround and another man of the match performance. Yeah. It, I, look, I fully agree. It, it is remarkable. It's remarkable because we didn't see it coming. I definitely didn't see it coming. I thought he was done uh, as a player at the the very top level. And uh, I suppose you could argue whether United are really at the very top level, but he's having a (laughs) great season. I'd love to have some insight uh, either from him or the manager on, on what they think has contributed to the turnaround because the, again, very reductive analysis that I hear most of all is that United buying Alex Tellez has motivated Shaw. And I, I feel like that's not much of the full picture. Um, if it's really motivation that's the problem, then we should be asking a question about why Shaw is, has been at the club for so long. And if you, I'm sure there's plenty of people who go, yeah, well, exactly. Uh, but I think it's more than that. You know, a combination of fitness, Motivation, professionalism, realizing, you know, maturity, realizing that he's now on the back end of his career, not the front end of it, you know, because he's 25, 26, something like that. Mm. So I, I wonder whether it's also recovery from the leg break because it's all, it's so easy for us to just assume, okay, he's back, he can play, he's okay now. But, you know, every time he runs into the box, he's got the kind of, scars of what happened to him that day which could have ended his career you know and so it's not so easy to just fully and and as I've said numerous times there's a lot of players at United where you have to take two and a half years out of their career because Jose Mourinho was their manager for those two and a half years and you can't you can't assess what they did in that time he's such a he's a you know he shouldn't be in charge of the lives of young people you know uh, Rashford and and Martial and uh, sure, in particular, Pogba also kind of, but Pogba was already, you know, an established star. Right. He won the World Cup in that time. Yeah. But those three in particular. Uh, stay tuned for the Backers show where we'll uh, dissect how Jose has already ruined Gareth Bale's good run of form, a uh, good run of form, which was what, two or three <laughs> games long. <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely ideal because there was also that Eric Lamella Rambona, which was a, a moment of like, that lit up the universe. Like the world is better for the fact that Eric Lamella did that, but also Tottenham lost. So it's perfect. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, more of that on the back of the show. And this is, this is the only circumstances in which I'd want Tottenham to lose the North London Derby out of those two teams. It's very clear which one you'd pick, but anyway. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about the West Ham game. No, I mean, it's very hard to find a lot of highlights from it. It, it wasn't super yeah. exciting, was it? And I think that's mostly on West Ham for deliberately setting up to to squeeze the life out of the game and a little bit on United for not taking the chances. I mean, if, if United had taken that Rashford chance and perhaps one of the other big ones, Mason's shot had creeped in and it was 3-0, you'd go, yeah, all right, well, you know, routine win. Yeah. Routine win against yeah. a, a, a limited opponent. So and West Ham are limited, I, fifth in the table or not fifth in the table. It's not an awesome side. 
and I guess the 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 one of the things that you would also say about this is um it's uh it's a massive win very like, important at this point yeah. at, at this point it, you know the wins are just absolutely vital particularly with Leicester smashing Burnley did it was it Burnley that Leicester smashed they smashed Sheffield United there you go they were in this Close. game for all of 5 minutes <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, should we take a, a a little break and come back to talk about who Man United have got next? Uh, we will do and a little bit of chat about money and shares and ugly stuff like that. I think. If you want more from the show in between shows, check us out on the socials. We are NQAT Pod on Instagram, Ed at NQAT Pod on Twitter, and we are under our real names on Facebook at No Question About That. All right, well, uh, welcome to Economics Hour with Paul and Ed. Brackets pull very much in a supporting role here. Um, I saw that Avram Great Glazer sold some Class A shares, uh, but they're not the good ones, right? The Class A's are not the good ones. They're always the good ones, Paul. Come on, (laughs) please. (laughs) Anyway, no, um, he sold a bit of both, actually, I think. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, Class B's are the one that have the voting rights and Class A's are the ones that don't um they all pay the same amount of dividends i mean which is listen which is basically it's 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 really funny when you straight up just call them class a's <laughs> really funny anyway sorry this is a joke solely for people of a certain age in the uk everyone else is going well, what are they talking about what yeah what? and it, it long shall it remain that way um Anyway, yes, he he sold at what amounts to about well, is selling because there's a prospectus out there about a hundred million dollars worth of shares. The reduction in voting rights for him is about three percent. I mean, it's not going to make any difference to control of the club. Um, and really, honestly, I, I look at this and every time this has happened, and I see the Glazers doing this, I think, what institution is it that's buying these shares because the yield on united is is pretty poor i mean it's at about 20 dollars or was um after uh, this came to light i think it sank back down to about 18 ipo'd at 14 so the return on that four dollars on 14 is work out the mass less than 30 percent over you know 10 years it's not much, is it? I mean, it's slightly better better than sticking your cash under a mattress. And when it comes to a hundred million dollars, I suppose it would be a large mattress. But it's it's not it's not great. I mean, you'd get probably get more money out of government bond, and it's a hell of a lot safer. So I just wonder what kind of institutions really sticking their money into United. And and clearly he wants to cash a bit out. This is a way of cashing out without taking any risks. They still have control. They can sell the club at a later stage, and he can go and do what he wants with these hundred million dollars so you know you've explained this to me so many times i'm never for the life of me understand what class a shares even are because it's a share in the company but not really it's a real share in the company i mean so look this is it's a it's a form of company governance which has become popular in the tech industry so um, a great example is facebook where zuckerberg owns significantly less than 50 percent of the stock actually it's it might even be single digits these days um, but has more than 50 percent of the voting rights because he owns the type of uh, a class b share that has the voting rights attached to it investors know this up front it's not a secret and they can decide whether they want to have any control of the company or whether they're just making a bet on on the future growth of that company right? and and the, so, the money will be in the capital gains and any dividends that are paid by the company now as it happens united do pay dividends not a lot and it won't be very much this year um but uh you know and if you're an investor, you probably know you're going to get some because the Glazers, as is often said, uh, use the club like a piggy bank. You know, they want that's how they make money out of the club, apart from the sort of mm. capital appreciation since they bought it. Um, so, you know, that's one reason for buying it. You typically don't get dividends with a lot of the big tech companies. And there you're just making a bet on the future of the company and the growth of the company. And, and uh, you know, it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that um, the company is going to be successful. Therefore, people buy the stock. Therefore, the price goes up. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, 
in this case, you know, you said what kind of institutions are buying this. Is there a chance that this is like a huge long, it's a long bet because at some point the Glazers are going to sell Man United and at that point then your shares could be worth a lot of money? Sure. Well, I mean, you can you can cash out at any point, of course. It's public. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah, no, so no. I mean, I think anyone who buys United shares are pretty long on United. So it's institutional. I mean, BlackRock owns some. Um, I think Warren Buffett's fund owns a bit. And then there's a whole bunch of pension funds and that kind of thing that, that owns some of the publicly traded. I mean, the thing is with United, even though the share price is fairly stable, it's not a lot traded. You know, there aren't huge volumes of stuff going into United. It's a small company. It it would be considered a very small cap company in in New York Stock Exchange terms. So, you know, it's uh, it's not a big deal from an investor's point of view. But yeah, it's it's probably pension funds and funds and that kind of thing that will be buying this. And and the pitch uh, is you know reasonable stability in in cash generation, which has actually been true. So over the last ten years, United have had um, you know. Modest growth, at least over the last six, in in revenues dip this year, but you know for understandable short term reasons. Um, and then there's the promise of the the reorganised Champions League format, which, given the four spots saved for historical reasons, probably means United have a much better chance of making the Champions League than they once might have done. What an awful, awful world. Yeah. Like just, you know, oh, oh good, the Champions League is becoming a European Super League, whether we like it or not. And also, um, the owner of Man United is just is selling $100 million worth of Man United stock in a way that will not in any way benefit anything to do with Man United whatsoever. Um, no, it, no, it won't. And, and he really did nothing to earn that you know uh, yeah, uh, yeah air quotes going on here which you can't see because it's a podcast um and our one video I, version of the podcast doesn't have any of us on it um, <laughs> so, for good reason um, um maybe we'll maybe we'll change that one day one but day. also maybe we definitely won't um talking of change oh what a remarkable series of dramatic structural changes man united have undergone Finally, they have uh, responded to the clarion call of the football watching uh, public and appointed a (coughs) football director, (coughs) not a director of football, um, a man who reports directly to Ed Woodward. So um, my favourite thing about this, there's a lot of um, a lot of lovely brouhaha made of the fact that Darren Fletcher is in as a technical director, working probably quite closely with Nicky Butt, who is in charge of the bit in terms of moving uh, from the youth team into the first team, that pathway, uh, Darren Fletcher is going to be definitely, you know, he's a, a fine football brain and a good, per- lots of institutional knowledge, a great person to have in the setup. John Murtaugh, who uh, has done uh, an excellent job at the academy, according to everyone that says anything about him, ha- will now report direct to Ed Woodward. But my favourite thing about this is that Matt Judge has been given a job as Director of Football Negotiations. I tweeted a long thread about this, my first serious Man United tweets in many a year, um, and uh, a lot of people were replying, well, now he's you know, he's not directly reporting to Ed Woodward anymore. It's like, okay, well, maybe the reporting line will make a dramatic change of difference, but even if it does, I'm going to say a man who is a, a pilloried laughingstock at doing football negotiations has been given the job of director of football negotiations. Yes, it, and, um, if anything, it's an upgrade. He's, he's, he's <laughs> been upgraded. I mean, you know, like I, 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 um, I, I like you, have a, a significant amount of cynicism about these appointments and, and we can take each of them individually because they do mean different things, you know, although obviously we're looking at it all as a package. Um, but uh, I, I got a fair bit of push actually on my cynicism, which was basically amounts to, well, you know, why don't we just wait and see what happens? I mean, it's the, it's the Peter principle in all its manifestation, isn't it? It's, you know, just because they've got shiny new job titles doesn't mean their skill sets have been leveled up. You know, in fact, we know we know nothing about the skills of Murta in this particular role, much more expansive role. He was head of academy where you say he's, it looks like he's done a very good job because there's a, a, you know, a good amount of talent in that academy, both in recruitment and, and the, the training, right? Which it needed that leveling up. Um, and, 
Darren Fletcher will see whether he's a good technical director. Never done that job before. Who knows? Hopefully, you know, he seems a very intelligent man. Hopefully he'll have a good strategic view of the whole squad, which is what you do as a technical director, making sure that coaching and squad planning and management and long-term thinking are right across the club, right? We don't know about anything to do with these two. The other one, Matt Judge has got the same job with a different job title instead of, you know, commercial director. He's now doing the thing he is, you know, manifestly bad at because we've seen it again and again. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I said also in, in that Twitter thread, I, I, and I've mentioned many times on this show, you know, in, in what has been described as an infamous uh, why, what's the point of all this? Can we just burn podcasting down to the ground in the last Jose Mourinho episode? One of the things I find endlessly frustrating um, about uh, social media coverage of United and fan channels and podcasts like this very one and conversations like the very one we're having is, of course, we don't know. Not really. We don't really know. We've never met Matt Judge. We've never sat in on negotiations. We've never spoken to any... Well, I've never spoken to anyone who's spoken to someone directly about him. This is about reading the tea leaves. That's all it is. So the fan expert thing, there's no expertise here. There's only looking at the situation and making a best guess. Now, having said that, this is something like all the the stuff that came out after the Jaden Sancho thing, where obviously, you know, both sides are trying to sell a version of that story. But Matt Judge looked a completely, I mean, Woodward in particular, but Matt Judge personally came out of that story atrociously. And in terms of football negotiations at the club, uh, we've got the Smalling contract, the Jones contract, the De Gea contract, maybe. The handling of Herrera's lack of contract and, and departure, leaving a massive gap in the squad that was not then filled. The um, Alexis Sanchez situation. United's commercial negotiations with players have been absolutely atrocious. The infamous story about Judge sitting down with a player, whether this is true or not, and, and asking him where he played. You know, this is this is a guy with a with a bad reputation from everything that I can see. Now, maybe that's all spin and counter spin and actually he's done a damn fine job um, and will be uh, brilliant and our, our, it'll all be smooth sailing from here because a new guy's, you know, got the got the title of football director. But this is also, and this is, you know, like I said, I don't know anything, but I, this feels very true. This is also Edward Wood shielding himself. Like the Tories with the Lib Dems in 20, whenever it was, 2010. Like there's a human shield now for Woodward. Well, we tried appointing a football director, but they haven't actually given someone a direct reporting line into the Glazers who's in charge no. of transfers. They all report to Woodward. Yeah, you know. I mean, what, what I wanted to say was, um, look, one reading of this could be fairly positive. Hey, aren't they moving towards a more modern sort of structure and and in some sense yes you know this Fletcher is the technical director judges chief football negotiator <laughs> Alan Dawson head of football operations you know on the on the uh, sort of process side of things all reporting into uh, Murta as a as the director of football football director um but uh, you know, in a more continental system, all those roles would probably be in place for sure. You know, much more compartmentalization than was the traditional way it's, it's happened at Manchester United. But but that that football director would probably take on more of a general manager role. And in fact, the manager may end up reporting to them. In this case, Edward Wood has hived off a lot of that responsibility. Um, and, you know, he still has the direct reporting line with Murta and Solskjaer. And, and so I don't see that much will change, right? And it feels, for that reason, from an organisational governance standpoint, that, like, really it's the same thing um, with, a, with a few deck chairs moved around. And ultimately, on the big things that we want, you know, managers being appointed, checks being assigned for the, the right kind of players, um, they will all go through Woodward and Joel Glazer, hundred percent. That won't have changed at all. Um, and so the yeah. fanning around on a big transfer will take place all summer. In fact, maybe it won't this summer, just because United are already briefing that we're skint and there won't be any money. 
so you know, yeah. fanning around on a new contract for someone will will happen, and then Oli Oli Solskjaer will be given a six year contract after, and and then United will finish fifth. So okay, so to suspend like to just slightly turn down the cynicism dial for a second. Here's the one thing that you could say is United trying to incorporate a bit of traditional Unitedness into this, which is this is a club who have the kind of totemic figurehead model of manager to end all totemic figurehead models of managers. And so maybe there is an argument to say that you don't want to move completely to a director of football above the coach situation you still want a manager because it's united and we're supposed to have one of those and i honestly have some sympathy for that point of view the problem then is as as ever the the difference between very process structural driven things and things with more flexibility in them when you go to a less process driven model you need better personnel and generally speaking the less process driven things with better personnel are better than the very process driven things but when ed woodward is the chief executive of the club or whatever he is, um, vice chairman, executive vice chairman. Or maybe that's changed too. I don't know. Anyway, when he's the guy, it doesn't matter what else is going on because there's such a vacuum of ability and awareness and talent and just knowing just knowing what to do and how to do it about that guy that it's, you know, all the rest of it is window dressing in a way. Yeah, and and I think I come out of this with with that viewpoint really, that that uh, much as like the reorganised structure might from the outside seem good, it's taken them two years to come up with this answer, of of all people they were very familiar with already, you know Fletcher being the one real unknown because this is really his first job. I mean he's been coaching hasn't he at the club for a few months, but his first sort of big job in football post playing. So, yeah. yeah and and you know if i had to personally if i had to take a punt on any ex-united player he'd be right near the top of the people that you'd want in a job like that to be to be positive for a second like not just uh hope for the best a little bit to be actually positive yeah i think darren Fl- i think he's going to turn out to be a great appointment we don't know that but i think it. yeah um i i really hope so i i would bet on again reading the tea leaves you know he's he's intelligent people uh, talk about him being very emotionally intelligent as well uh, which in that kind of role i think you do need um let's hope he understands what's required from a sort of organizational point of view to make sure united are moving forward and are consistent um, in terms of the quality and the standards remain high. I did kind of think it was interesting that when Solskjaer talked about him, he only talked about it in this kind of, you know, um, c- kind of cliched generic fashion, which was like, oh, he's got United's DNA. Well, great. I mean, Solskjaer has United's DNA. It doesn't really mean much, does it? So you, you want, um, you know, at a club like United, which has... Um, uh, well, at least the fans have designs on the top things in uh, domestic and, and continental football. You want, you know, real excellence in in uh, in what they're able to deliver. You know, more than, yeah, he's got passion. S H. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I know you're not saying this, but of course that would be a gross misrepresentation of everything that Darren Fletcher has given off in any. If you've ever listened to Darren Fletcher talking about football, you know, he's a guy whose favourite player growing up was Redondo. Like this is he's not a passion merchant. No. This guy is like an absolute lover of the game. Oh, and, a total uh, nerd yeah. for the game as well. You know, in yeah. in the same, it's which like, is what oh, you no, want for sure in that in that role. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Sort of in the same way, Ander Herrera is as well, and you you suspect he might be yeah. a great coach as well, uh, one day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's money, that's uh, appointments. Oh, one thing we all have to work out is how you pronounce John Murtar's name because at the moment I'm just pronouncing it like Murtar from Lethal Weapon, but that is spelt differently. So um, maybe it's Murto. We'll find maybe out. Murtar, maybe um, Murto, maybe Murtoch. Yeah, in Glaswegian. Yeah. Um, so United have some actual games coming up. The second leg against Milan on. Thursday in Milan. In Milan, are they yeah. going to Italy? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so because that corridor is okay, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's. I guess that's why Italy could come to us. I mean, Milan could come to us. 
Uh, one all going to that, very delicately poised. Would have been nice to go into that 1-0 up. Still think United are possibly favourites for that. If they can put it, they might have some more space on the counter. Yeah. But it's going to be another, it's going to be another um, rotated side. Um, I guess Eric Bailly will play, you were right. Teller's played in that one. Uh, I guess he'll play in this one as well. And it's not the end of the world if we get knocked out of this. Like, top four's looking good. It'd be nice to be in the Europa League. You want to win everything, but... Well, look, uh, it's delicately poised. And I think United, uh, for Solskjaer as well, he needs a trophy. I mean, it's trophyless season last season and the season before that and the season before that, right? So these things do matter. Um, So if if United are not going to win the Premier League, so don't pull off one of the FA Cup and tough game against Leicester coming up at the weekend um, or the Europa League, then we'll be talking about five years since the trophy. I mean, these things do matter. Uh, and uh, and the sense of, um, I mean, sorry for the comparison because it's unfair on Oli Solskjaer, but look at Mikel Arteta and the boost he's got and from winning the FA Cup, you know? He's doing a manifestly job as Arsenal manager, um, albeit they beat Spurs today, <laughs> but they are very, very mid-table. Uh, and, you know, he's got a nice hairline and a trophy, and that has given him a lot of space. So I think it would be good for Oli and for United. And and uh, I hope they're able to put out a reasonably strong side against Milan and they're able to put in a performance. So, Well, I guess we should sort of sort of take these two games as a whole then as well, given, as you rightly said, the game on uh, Sunday at five o'clock, next Sunday at five o'clock. FA Cup Sunday at five o'clock. Gone to the dogs. Anyway, uh, we're away at Leicester. And yeah, so so this is these are I guess this is a kind of season defining week in some ways, or at least um, the shape of the rest of the season will be heavily influenced by what happens in, the, in these games because we beat Leicester, that's a trip to Wembley for the semi final. Uh, we beat Milan, that's uh, into the quarterfinals of uh, the Europa League, which is now it's starting to get pretty real. Um, and you only got to win three games then to win the win the whole thing. Um, how how's he gonna? apportion his forces will he will he put I guess given that it's the FA Cup he might choose to play a stronger side in the Europa League knowing the task at hand there and knowing what the the score in that game is and what's required of that second leg versus then going into the Leicester game and hoping for sort of one-off scrap and hoping that Leicester uh, rest a lot of players for that game which they they might well do I don't think they've got a game uh, in midweek um uh, but they, you know, their their schedule's been... No, they haven't got another game until that game. But their schedule's been thick and fast too. Um, is there an international break yeah. after that? Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's coming up in about a week's time or something. Yeah, yeah, just after that. I mean, just God almighty. I mean, I, I think quite a, there's been quite a lot of cancellations, actually. I think most of the South American fixtures have been cancelled because, um, f- for the most part, players coming from Europe um, we'll have to quarantine after they get back. Uh, you know, you you can debate the rights and wrongs of which country uh, is on which country's red list, but that's the way it is. Um, it's still pretty nuts to to send players off into different bubbles. You know, the the trust here is that everyone is observing the bubble throughout European football, uh, and yeah. and that um, yeah, you know, all this travel doesn't cause problems. So let's let's hope so. Um, but if, if it, you know, there's a few convenient injuries and uh, players pulling out of squads or um, Solskjaer putting his foot down or whatever it is, then, yeah, good for United. I think no one needs this round of international fixtures. Um, and by the way, I, I think I'm right in saying Europa League is normal format. I don't think we go to one leg like we did last season. Oh, wow. So I, okay. think, I think it's two right. legs all the way to the final. Um, I could be wrong there. Correct me if I am, listeners, but... Uh, I think so, and which means quite a lot of games after this could be another six, seven after this one, plus the FA Cup, plus um, the remaining uh, how many games now? Nine games in the Premier League, so it's going to be packed until middle of May. Hopefully, um, if they if they win 
this and, game. And Bruno will play every bloody minute of it because... <laughs> and Harry Maguire will too. Harry Maguire and, and uh, I mean, Donny van der Beek is injured at the moment, but if he wasn't injured, he still wouldn't be playing because Bruno's understudy never gets a game because Bruno never gets a rest. So um, Bruno will play both these games. He will. Um, and by the way, United don't have too, too many choices, right? Like, um, yeah, Exactly. And this is kind of the problem. I wonder whether we're going to... Because Martial's injured, Cavani's injured. So that means Dan James is almost definitely getting a game with Van der Beek and Pogba both out. Um, We're going to need some players to come back from injury, I guess, after the international break. So I wonder whether we'll see... I wonder if Tellers won't even play one of these games and sure will just play both of them because of the international break coming up next. Um, I think that might be... It might be possible. Don't England have three games and Shaw's in the squad? Uh, They do, but is... Is he? So, oh, I was yeah. going to say is I. I didn't know they'd even announced so, the squad. Oh uh, well, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've, I, I, okay, I, okay, listeners. I'll admit to not fully to taking part in focusing on England, so they might not have done. I just assumed <laughs> he was because I thought I'd seen some positive quotes about him from Gareth Southgate. But uh, he, he's going to be if he's not because right, he's okay. fit and he's playing well. So um, any, anyway, um, I imagine there'll be some rotation. Teles has been playing most of the European games, so I, I think he'll play. So I want, yeah, this is what I want, Ed. I want your hard and fast predictions for who is going to play the Milan game. Henderson. Uh, although De Gea might be back for the Leicester game, I wonder whether, um, although Henderson would normally play in the Cups, whether Oli will want to give him a game. We'll see. Um, um <laughs> Nah, there's no reason to just let him. I'm not. I don't mean that nastily about De Gea. I just mean why would you? Why would you rush him back for the the game when Henderson would be playing in the cups anyway? Yeah. So yeah, Henderson. I mean, there isn't really an alternative to Wan Bissaka unless Williams plays, but he hasn't been given an option. Baye, Maguire, Tellez. That's the back four against Milan. Matic, yeah. and one of Fred and McTominay. Um. I'd, by the way, I shang at the TV today every time Fred gave away the ball, thinking that he's giving it away about 50% of the time, still above 90%, but it's just in some really frustrating <laughs> situations. Um, but yeah, one of Fred and McTominay, whoever's um, got the most in the tank, I guess. Um, and then uh, there's, there's no choices up front. I, I don't think he's going to start Diallo, which means it's it's um, James Greenwood, Rashford, Rashford, Rashford and um, Bruno. All right, I think that sounds a reasonable shout. And I wonder if that's the team, but with Lindelof and Shaw um, against... Uh, oh, and then Fred and McTominay rather than Matic against Leicester. Um, yeah. Okay, well, that that sounds great. <laughs> it's honestly so grim at the moment, isn't it? Just, just, just want Pogba back in the side. Just want a bit of something extra. But listen, let's not get too greedy. Beat City last weekend... Followed that up with a non-humiliating result, although uh, completely after the Lord Mayor's show performance against Milan. Um, and then a, a, a good result and an OK performance against yeah. West Ham. So given given that we're in mid-pandemic football, can't really complain too much about that. But I just wish it was a little more exciting. I guess we'll have moments of excitement to come. Hopefully one of these two games will provide that. I'm going to predict a score of 2-1 to Milan and United going out oh. and 1-0 to Leicester. And United going out. Oh, so two losses. Man, man. Sorry, I don't want that Get to happen. Get me down if, if I was... Oh, no, no. Do you know what? Do you know what? 2-1 Milan and 1-0 to us against Leicester. Oh, That's okay. my prediction. Oh, fine. You they'll, they'll rest You players. flip-flops. Yes, they will rest yeah, players. I'll flip-flop. And they've got some injuries to Leicester. So, um, yeah, I, if I was smarter, I'd come up with the version of Debbie Downer, which rhymed with Paul or something like that. You know, but I'm not. So I can't... I, I just, it feels like, I don't know why it's a, like, some sort of bad thing to predict that United might lose a it game is. when, uh, but they've been not that good. You always talk, they might you're lose. Talking, you're talking United down. That's what you do, Paul. Yeah. For clicks, isn't it? It is. It's good for, it's good, good for us when United lose. We make more money out <laughs> yeah, of that's it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Inside joke there. <laughs> just, just to clarify, right? That was pure sarcasm because <laughs> there are parts of the world where sarcasm is less popular. So, yes, that is not the case. Um, a, a slight aside, uh, my former company where a, a whole bunch of Brits worked in a team managed by someone from Korea. 
sarcasm doesn't translate well, especially the driest of dry British sarcasm. Um, as you can imagine, um, she just basically translated everything of as people being unbelievably mean to each other and horrible about each other <laughs> for no real reason. Hey, listen, I, I think I think the UK as a culture could learn a lot from cultures where the default mode of human interaction is not being viciously cruel, but hey. yeah, um, yeah, I've got a few other stories, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to repeat them on air. Um, okay, you asked me for a prediction. I think one-one in Milan, and it's going to go all the way to penalties, and I don't know who's going to win it, but uh, I, you know, I, I would um, Rashford, Teles, Bruno. I think we've got three bankers there. I don't know the rest of them though. Um, Ah, Mace, Mace could take a pen, surely. He can, with either foot. Maybe we'll do it with both uh, at the same time. Um, and then Leicester, uh, yeah, I don't know how to call this one because I think, I think I'd think i be worried, actually, but Leicester, I think, will rest players. So, Debbie Downer. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say 1-0 to United, yeah. <laughs> Great. This, is, this, this show is so stupid. <laughs> just 20 minutes of really serious analysis of all the structural flaws at the club and then just absolute pure waffle about the previews anyway thanks for listening everyone um and uh patreon.com slash nqat pod if you want even more rubbish every week we will uh carry on now and uh talk to the patreon backers about all the football uh this weekend but i have to confess ahead of time um the rest of the non-man united football this weekend that i have watched is the eric lamella rabona goal <laughs> that's it that's the own i don't even know any of the scores so sorry, everyone. But anyway, more of that to come. Um, it will include completely founded, although not based on specific information, Jose Mourinho slander. Um, thanks for listening, uh, everyone else, and we'll see you next week. Bye now. Thanks a lot. <laughs>